blessing and another blessing. You've been in between jobs before, right? You know there's another job coming, but the last job just ended. You're in between one blessing and another blessing. You ever been in between relationships? Some of y'all right now are in between relationships. I'm not with the last person. I know the next person's coming, but I'm in that in between. I'm in between diets right now. I know there's another one coming. I'm not in the last one anymore. But see, whenever God moves you out of one season, the next season is going to be greater than the last season. There's that passage there in 2 Corinthians that says that he moves us from glory to glory. What we don't often realize is that in between one glory and the next glory is a dark valley. And we don't like being in the dark valley. We want to just be in the glory. But in order to get to the next glory, God has to lead you away from the last glory because what happens is we get too comfortable in our previous glory and we want to stay there forever. And so what God does often to move us on from the last glory is he takes it away. And when he takes it away, we're tempted to feel forsaken by God. We're tempted to feel abandoned by God. We're tempted to feel that somehow we failed God or that somehow we're being punished by God. Now, this was a time in Israel's history. In chapter 17, Israel's experiencing famine. In chapter 16, there's plenty. In chapter 17, there's famine. In chapter 18, there's plenty again. And God sends rain on the earth. But you got to live through chapter 17 to get to chapter 18. Here's the beautiful thing about being in between. That in-between state, in between one blessing and the next blessing, in between one level and the next level, that in-between state that's so dark and difficult, it's not a season in which God is inactive. It's not a season in which God is not there. It's not a season in which God doesn't manifest his presence to you. It's not a season in which God doesn't bless you. There are always miracles in the middle. There are always miracles in the middle. And the problem with the middle is that we get too discouraged there. We get so discouraged there that we miss the miracles in the middle because we're not watching for them. We're thinking in our minds, I just got to get to the next glory. I just got to get my next breakthrough. I just got to find my next job. Do you realize that even when you're in between jobs, there are miracles in the middle? Before you get your next job, God still has miracles for you in the middle. He'll still provide for you in the middle. He'll still speak to you in the middle. The the miracles in the middle are not the full thing. It's not the complete blessing that's coming. But there's miracles in the middle, and the miracles in the middle are designed to sustain you. The famine hits... And Elijah has a talk with God, and he says, what's your plan? And God says, I've already thought of this. I'm not surprised by this. How many know that God has never been surprised by anything? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? (laughs) Nothing catches him off guard. 
So when your season of struggle comes, God saw it coming a long time ago, and he's already scheduled your middle miracles. God says to Elijah, here's what I need you to do. I need you to arise and go. Get away from here and go dwell by the brook Cherith. Go eastward. And he sends him out to a desert place where there's this one little brook that comes through. And God says, this is your provision. There's famine, which means there's no rain. And there's no rain, which means there's no water. But I know where the brook is. God always knows where the brook is. The brook, when you're drinking from the brook, there might as well not be a famine. I mean, we've gone through it. I know you've gone through it. You've walked through. I have a friend. He went through, a, he went through nine months of not having a job. Nine months of being unemployed, looking for work, not finding it. And every month, he, I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know how we're going to make it. And we looked back at the end of that nine months. I said, did you make it? He said, yes, I did. How did you make it? I don't know. <laughs> Are you deep in debt? No. Did you pay your bills every month? Yes. Did you eat? Yes. You fed your family? Yes. You did some fun stuff? Yes. How'd you do that? I don't know. Because of the miracles in the middle. Because God already has a brook waiting for you, and when you're drinking from the brook, it might as well not even be a famine. It's not a famine for you. What favor does is it deadens the sting of the famine. That's the function of favor. The function of favor is to deaden the sting of the famine. You're in the famine, but you're not of the famine. You're of the Lord. God has a plan for the middle, and God said, you're going to drink from that brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you. If I'm Elijah, I'm thinking, I'll believe that when I see it. And sure enough, the first evening, he sees it. He sees, no way, there's ravens. They're flying towards, no way. What's that hanging in their mouth? And they drop off a steak sandwich to him. That's what it says, bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat. And where, where did the ravens get steak from? They had some carne asada. <laughs> it's like they even seasoned it. It's nice and medium rare, cooked to perfection. Man, Lord, how did you do that, Lord? Those blessings in the middle, you'd be like, God, how'd you, how'd you do that? That's crazy. How'd you do that in the middle of famine? And then all of the sudden, the brook dries up. Elijah wakes up one morning. Oh, I'm so thirsty. And he goes down to the brook. What? Uh, Lord, I need you to turn the brook back on. Somebody turned it off up there. And it says it dried up because there was no rain in the land. Meaning that the supernatural provision was over. It dried up because it was supposed to dry up. It was time for it to dry up. And God was no longer supernaturally keeping it running. Have you ever been through one of those stages? Where it feels like that your favor expired. Like divine unemployment is over. No more. I mean, you submitting the paperwork to heaven and it's all getting denied. And then he's like, well, at least the ravens are coming with that steak sandwich. 
and the ravens don't show up. And now I just feel forgotten by God. Now I just feel forsaken by God. Because all of us love those miracles where you needed the money by 7 a.m. and it came at 6.59. You ever had a friend who got that and you didn't? And you just bitter? Well, good, good for you. Praise the Lord. When somebody else is still at their brook cherith while yours is dried up, you got laid off and your friend got a promotion. You just broke up and your friend just got married. You just had a miscarriage and your friend just had their fourth baby. You know know what I'm talking about? Now Elijah has to go back to the Lord. Maybe that's the design. And God says, get up and go. Lord, I'm getting tired of this getting up and going. First you told me to get up and go to Cherith, eastward to Cherith. I went there. Now you're telling me to get up and go to Zarephath, which is of Sidon. It's a different country. Get up and go. The miracles in the middle always require you to get up and go. Because that's the whole purpose of the miracle. What God is doing is divinely situating you, positioning you, and moving you to a place where you never would have gone of your own choice. It's really hard while the brook is still flowing for God to say, leave the flowing brook and go to Zarephath. Now you're going to struggle in your heart to go. The crisis always is designed to position you for something that you never would have chosen without the crisis. Whenever a crisis hits, you need to look up and ask God, what are you positioning, for me, positioning me for? Where are you moving me? How are you, where are you calling me to go? What are you calling me to do? Because the crisis, I look back on so many crises moments and said, I never would have chosen that for myself. It would have been really hard for God to speak through my thick skull and get me to move there without that crisis. But now that the crisis has happened, I almost don't have a choice. What's crazy is that Elijah didn't have a choice. God says, go to Zarephath. You want to eat? Go to Zarephath. Your provision is in Zarephath. And Elijah got up and went, which sounds like crazy obedience, right? No, he had no choice. (laughs) Ain't nothing left here. The brook is dried. You can stay at your old job if you want, but you ain't getting a paycheck. You know what I'm talking about? Now God starts talking crazy. I commanded a widow to provide for you there. A widow? Is she a rich widow? (laughs) Nah, she's, she's actually very poor. She's only got one biscuit left. And you commanded her to give it to me? That's messed up, God. somebody's present and online at the same time (laughs) Elijah wrestles with God all the way to Zarephath and here's the evidence of it when he gets there it says and indeed 
Notice when God told him, he said, see or behold, I have commanded a widow to provide for you there. Behold, meaning you've got to look, you've got to lift up your eyes and look above the natural, above the normal. Behold. Whenever you see that word, whenever God says, see or behold, what God is literally saying is, this ain't going to make no sense to you. But I'm, I'm calling you to hear what I'm saying to you and open your eyes. See, behold. You got to look at this not in the natural. You got to have some faith. In other words, you got to trust what I'm saying to you. It's not going to make any sense. But I've commanded an impoverished widow who has no provision for herself to provide for you. Which means what God is literally saying is that I have determined that this widow is going to take a step of faith and give an offering sacrificially from her place of poverty. And that step of, of faith that I'm calling her to take is going to be her breakthrough. I'm going to provide for the widow if she will obey my command to provide for you. And you're going to give her the opportunity to give. Her miracle in the middle is going to come through sacrificial giving. And your miracle in the middle is going to come from the ask. Here's what you get to do, Elijah. You get to ask a poor widow to give an offering in the middle of a famine. And Elijah is all conflicted inside. How am I going to do this? I want to feed the poor, not tax the poor. I mean, preacher's got a bad enough name already. You know, they just want your money. Fat prophets come to town and they always take the biggest piece of chicken. Always get the best piece of lamb at the table. The kids are starving, but the prophet is just... I don't want to be one of those prophets, Lord. The Lord says, no, 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 no. She gets no miracle unless you ask her. She gets no miracle unless you give her the ask. She gets no miracle. And he gets there, and indeed, there's a woman gathering sticks by the gate. The Lord said, there she is. Go ask her for food. And he sees her, and she must have looked more, more pathetic than he even imagined her to look. She looked jacked up. I mean, if you can imagine a jacked-up widow with no provision, she was more jacked up than that. So much so that when he saw her, he changed his mind. So I can't, I can't do this, God. I can't do it. He's looking at his pot. I gotta have a little piece of sandwich or something left over from the ravens to give to her. I want to give her something. And the Lord says, "Boy, you better do what I'm telling you to do." So help me. I will smite you. Uh, I just hear my mama's voice whenever God rebukes somebody. My mama said, boy, I will lay hands on you suddenly. And you will be healed. I will slap you so hard you will have six visions, five dreams, and four revelations. Do you want to meet Jesus? I can arrange a meeting. He 
He says, excuse me, um, poor widow, could you uh, please uh, just bring me just a little bit of water? <laughs> That's all he could bring himself to ask her for. Yep, yep. Just, just a little bit of water. <laughs> she goes, all right. And she seemed irritated with that ask. How are you going to ask me for water? Doesn't he see how jacked up I look? I, I'll be right back. And the Lord says, you know I told you to ask her for food. But Lord, look at her. Boy, if you don't ask her for food. He goes, excuse me, excuse me. And um, along with that water, just a little morsel. What is that? Verse, verse 10, 11, 12. Put that up on the screen. You got to see this. Look at this. Just, just bring me a little morsel. A little morsel of food, a little morsel of bread, just a little crumb. I don't need the whole biscuit, just a little crumb. Go to verse 11. Just a little crumb. Please bring me a morsel. Do you know what a morsel is? You know what a morsel is? That little crumb that breaks off the end of your biscuit? It almost doesn't qualify as part of the biscuit. Because that crumb is always a little bit more burnt than the rest of the biscuit. It's just a burnt crumb of a biscuit. No butter, no syrup, no, no saga molasses, no honey. Just, just a morsel. Now she gets mad. Look at verse 12. She's angry. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, behold, now the woman is saying, you better see me. God is telling the prophet, behold. And the woman is telling the prophet, behold. God is saying, look at it my way. And the woman is going, no, look at it my way. There's always two beholds in every situation. The behold of the natural and the behold of the supernatural. At the very moment, God is saying, this is provision. You're looking at the natural and saying, ain't no provision here. God is saying, this is blessing. And the natural is saying, this is poverty. God is saying, this is wisdom. And the natural is saying, this is foolishness. She says, behold, I'm gathering a couple sticks so I can go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. <laughs> Here's my plan. See these sticks I've been gathering? I'm going to go home and make a fire. Rub them together, whatever I got to do, make a fire. I'm going to take that little bit of flour that little bit of oil and make one biscuit. I'm going to put it in that fire and cook it, then I'm going to call my son. Come on, son. This is our last meal. Half for you, half for me. Let's eat. We're going to eat it. What's next, mommy? Now we die. <laughs> what do you mean we die? I mean, we're just going to sit here and die. There's nothing, there's nothing else for us but to just wait for death. There's nothing on the other side of that biscuit. And the prophet says, look at verse 13. Now, 
Don't let the New King James Version fool you. It says, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. Here's what the prophet actually said. This is the NGT, the New Ghetto Translation. What the prophet actually said was, well, if you're going to die anyway, you might as well just take half of that and make a little biscuit for me. I mean, what's the difference? Eat the biscuit and die or don't eat the biscuit and die? You're going to die anyway. So you might as well try out some obedience on the way to death. You've lost everything anyway. What are you afraid of losing? The last little meal, the last little oil? You got nothing anyway, but you're still afraid of losing it. You got nothing, but you still think God's trying to take it away from you. Tell you what, I'm not asking you to give me the whole biscuit. Just give me, just break that one little biscuit into two. But before you and your sonny, you cook it and you bring it to me. And he says, this is what the Lord says. Go to verse 13, 14. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up. All of a sudden, now the prophet's got some faith. Now all of a sudden he understands what God is doing here. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. When he took that step and made that ask, the Holy Spirit came and gave him revelation. Ah, now I see what God is doing. Let me tell you something, woman. That bin of flour and that jar of oil is not going to run out. I know it looks like there's only enough there for one biscuit, but let me tell you something. You're going to make pans of biscuits. There's going to be biscuits on biscuits on biscuits. You're going to be inviting friends and over, friends and, and family over for biscuit parties. You're going to have a biscuit stand. You're going to be selling biscuits. Come on, somebody. What occurred to the prophet in that moment was that when the Lord said to him, I've commanded a widow to provide for you, what he actually meant was, I'm sending you to provide for the widow. You didn't get it. Three or four of you did. The rest of you need to hear it again. It's going to seem to you that you're making an outlandish ask of the woman. And it's going to seem to her that she's being asked to give away, out of her poverty, the one thing that she has left. But that actually, the opposite is the actual truth. That small act of faith is going to provide for her and her family through the entire, for the entire middle. Till the famine is over. This is her miracle in the middle. And had you stayed up at the brook Cherith, drinking from the brook all by yourself, eating meat sandwiches from the ravens, this woman and her son would die of starvation. I'm sending you to them so they don't die. I took a blessing from you so that you could go to her. 
because it wasn't enough for me that you get provided for. I want to use you as the source of provision. Isn't that crazy that at the very moment that God took away his provision, he was making him a source of provision? At the moment it looked like God stripped him of his blessing, God made him a blessing. Till now you've received blessing, now you're going to be blessing. Till now you've received provision, now you're going to be provision. And there was this transaction that happened. The prophet's faith and the woman's faith produced provision and breakthrough. And they all ate. Until the famine was over. The principle is that whenever you're stuck and you're seeking the Lord for your next right step, your next right step will always require faith. And the definition of faith is the boldness to obey God by making a sacrifice in the midst of famine. There's no faith in giving God your extra. That don't take any faith. My wife and I have learned this again and again and again and again. About 10 years ago, we were up to our necks, up to our eyelids in credit card debt. We were on a plane heading to a mission trip and we took hands and we prayed this prayer. Lord, would you bless us to get out of debt by the end of this year, to pay off all of our credit card debt by the end of this year? And the Lord spoke to us and said, double your tithe. I said, no, Lord, your math is bad. I was asking for money in, not more money out. The Lord said, this is my way. Double your tithe. 20% starting today. I said, but Lord, if we can't pay off our debts giving you 10%, how are we going to pay off our debts giving you 20%? See, I'm thinking in the natural. I'm the widow. As surely as the Lord your God lives, I I can't double my tithe. All I got is a little flour and a little oil. I only got one biscuit. We're about to eat it and die. That's all I got. The Lord said, this is my way. Taking a step, breakthrough required, taking a step of faith, and that step of faith always required a sacrifice. The Lord said, this is my way. So my wife and I made a decision. Okay, we're going to do this by faith. We doubled our tithe. December 3rd of that year, we made our last credit card payment. It's about $18,000 in credit card debt that we paid off. How? Money just started coming from different places. Over and above our income, all of a sudden money started coming in. And we simply would take that money, put it right into the credit card. Hallelujah. More money would come, put it right into the credit card. Hallelujah. More money would come, put it right into the credit card. But by the end of the year, not only had we paid off all of our debt, but we broke through into a new level of provision in our lives. And recently we looked back and realized that every breakthrough in our life, Every financial breakthrough has come through a season of sacrificial giving. 
in obedience to God. Not, not like something we made up to try to convince God or, or manipulate God. It wasn't us going, you know what, we're going to just give more. No, no, that, that wasn't, it was obedience because we, we never wanted to do it. <laughs> never. We're not sitting around going, how can we give more? <laughs> no. <laughs> I need my money. Two years ago, we started this Kingdom First thing. Yeah. You know what today is? The two-year anniversary of Commitment wow. Sunday. Wow. Two-year anniversary of Commitment Sunday. And Commitment Sunday was actually our last live Sunday before the shutdown happened. Wow. Two years ago today. Wow. But something happened in us. I remember when Sonny and I were talking about, what are we going to pledge for Kingdom yeah. First? We were so excited. I'm thinking, you know, 10,000. That's going to be a, that's a lot for us. Maybe we'll have some faith. We'll pledge 20,000. Mm, amen. And God spoke to us both and said, 50,000 is your pledge. I said, Lord, once again, your math is all messed up. I mean, you know our budget. I calculated that over a 24-month period. Over two, It's like 1700 a month or something like that. How are we going to do that, Lord? The faith came. We made the pledge. We paid it off in eight months. Honestly, I still don't know how, <laughs> except to say that the moment we said yes to God, breakthrough, all of a sudden money would come from here and it would come from there. Where's this money coming from? And we'd put it into our pledge and we'd put it into our pledge and we'd put it into our pledge. And I'll never forget, we came, we were coming to the end of the year and I prayed a bold prayer. Lord, send, we, were, we needed $25,000 more. I said, Lord, I don't want to spend another year and three months paying this off. Send us $25,000 so that we can pay this off. I kid you not, a week later, a check came in the mail from an unexpected source for $25,000. Completely unrelated to church, completely unrelated to pay, completely unrelated to salary. The Lord told me to send you a check for $25,000. $25,000? Are you kidding me? We put it right in and paid off our pledge. And then the Lord spoke to us after we paid that pledge, after we paid that off. The Lord spoke to me that day and said, I'm giving you a bigger house this year. We were living in a two-bedroom condo in Dublin. And then the Lord spoke to my wife three months later and said, sell this condo right now. And by the end of the year, you all know the story. The Lord blessed us with a beautiful home on a hill by itself. The closest house to us is five acres away. We have 3.14 acres. I still walk around that house going, how did you do this, Lord? How did you do this, Lord? How did you do this? And you know, I've been really challenged in my heart because I typically don't give you those details. Yeah. I don't tell you those numbers. You know why? Because it ain't none of your business. <laughs> but 
But you know what the Lord told me this week? You're robbing them of the example. You're robbing them of the testimony. By not telling them, you're robbing them of the testimony. That the blessing came into my life through obedience. The blessing came into my life through sacrificial obedience. Sacrificial obedience. And what tends to happen is we hold on to that biscuit. I can't afford to let the biscuit go yet. In a, in a number of different areas in our lives, we're still holding the biscuit. And then wondering why the provision isn't coming. Sometimes we even make deals with God. God, I'll let go of the biscuit if you give the provision, which don't make a lick of sense. Why don't you just go to the bank and say, I'll make a deposit when you give me some interest. How about you get that first job and you go to the boss and say, I'll tell you what, I'll show up for work once I get the first paycheck. I'll start working after I get my first paycheck. How's that? You're dating a woman, you tell her, I'll tell you I love you after we get married. It doesn't even work in the natural. Why do you think it works in the spiritual? The provision, the breakthrough, the blessing was released when it was revealed both to the prophet and the woman that the next right step required sacrificial obedience. Amen. The miracles in the middle always come through sacrificial obedience. Wow. Amen. You know what? It's not my job to tell you what your sacrifice is. It's not my job to tell you what level of yeah. sacrifice or obedience the Lord is asking you for. Yeah. But what it is my job to tell you is that when the Lord does ask you to take a step of sacrificial obedience, it is not loss. Yeah. That's right. It is not loss. It always feels like loss, but it never is. But here's the beautiful thing. If it doesn't feel like loss, it ain't the step of sacrificial obedience the Lord is asking you for. Those are the two truths. It always feels like loss, but it is not loss. And if you don't need revelation to see that it ain't loss, it ain't God. And some of you already know what that biscuit is that you've been clutching in your hand not realizing that by keeping that biscuit locked up in your hand, you've also locked up your blessing. And God can't release it until you release the biscuit. Wow. Bow your heads and let's pray.